0: Hello, this is James in London. I'm Nate in Colorado.
1: And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast for three very different friends... Take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening, learning, and helping one another go deeper with God. Friends Informations produced by Renovare, a Christian ecumenical renewal effort that offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We would love for you to join the conversation. Please email your questions. Email those to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O. V-A-R-E dot org. If we use your question in a future episode, we'll send you a coffee mug featuring the Friends in Formation logo. Thanks so much for being here with us.
0: It's good to be with you. Great to be able to talk through some important issues here. And one of the questions that comes up a lot is the hurried life. We're all trying to cope with that, the work life, the balance (laughs) life, the family life. And Tara asks a very good question and puts it like this. I'm an older student attending junior college, and I work at the school newspaper part-time. I find it a struggle to keep up a rhythm for life because so much of my schedule is arranged by my professor's and the chaotic style of working within journalism. Is this an unexpected experience? What types of practices would the group suggest to help me to keep centered on Christ? Well, that is a very succinct question, and I'm really pleased you, you've asked it, Tara. And now, my friends, what do you think? <laughs>
1: Rhythm of life. Isn't that the greatest phrase, rhythm of life? And I'm going to start by saying I am so glad she's already using that language. And I want us to camp out here for just a second to realize that there is a difference in saying rhythm of life and in saying something like work Life balance. Although work life balance may come into it, so often I hear people say, How can I keep my life balanced? You know, as if there's a tightrope that we're all walking. And I think that actually is how very often we're feeling, as if we're walking a tightrope above an abyss. And if we put a foot wrong, we will fall into nothingness. So already she's using language that I think is helpful rhythm. That's something that we can um, maybe
2: riff off of here together. What does that change for you, Rochelle, to say rhythm rather than balance?
1: Well, for so long, I was, was trying to think in terms of balance as, as though God were demanding that I have certain things on one side of the scale and other things on the other side of the scale. And if I couldn't bring them into sort of a perfection, that I was all out of whack. But I would suggest that life is not balanced, and there are times that we are well able to devote ourselves, for instance, maybe to long periods of prayer. And there are other times when we just have to get through our days relying on breath prayer because that's what the situation demands. And I think thinking in terms of rhythm means that we keep prayer in our being, in our comings and our goings, and things move in and out, and we're able to adjust to what our lives demand with something at the center instead of feeling like we're, we're going to fall off and perish. Do you think that's right?
2: I can work with that. Interesting idea. I have a, a surefire solution if I can oh. be so bold.
1: Yay. Lay it on us.
2: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'll preface it by saying, certainly some situations are unavoidable and there are seasons that just seem, you know, just to be there. Okay. Here it is. Say no. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just say no. Right. And usually there's a number of reasons why we don't say no. And I'll offer two that are uh, maybe a little offensive. And I mean, I mean, our friend is in a situation with school. And so there's probably some things quite unavoidable, but usually there's a sort of laziness. I failed to plan. I failed to take the time Hmm. to maybe develop rhythms, to feel the sting and the pain of saying no to really, really good things that I want to do. And then the other piece I'd give to that is greed. Of mine, Mojo has this great quote that busyness is greed. I, I'm trying to do more than is humanly possible. I'm trying to escape my own mortality, and 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 rather than receive my portion of what is actually reasonable for me in my state of life and my season to do and not do.
1: Oh, Nathan! Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said lay it on us, but man, you're not mincing words there. <laughs> busyness is greed.
0: There's so much in that, I think, the sting of saying no. I like that expression as well, the sting of saying, because it does hurt. It's really difficult to say no.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I mean, I sometimes say to young executives, because that's what I was at one stage, I said, you know, the greatest act of faith may not be to save the world at this point. It might just be to go to bed <laughs> just go to bed, just give up with it. Right. Just say no, you know, emails. I know it's, it's hard to believe that the kingdom of God is not under threat if right. we go to bed, if we right. just say those emails won't get answered. As I said, of course, I can feel the tug <laughs> of, you know, you can't. But, but, but I do think that attitudinal issue here is an unhurried life requires an non in your heart.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that's quite a deep set of you know, issues. There's a couple of great resources. The Dallas Willard did a book called uh, Life Without Lack. And at the end of it, he does a little piece on how to spend a day with a Jesus. And it's your point, really, planning is important. You know, it's helpful if you can plan the day ahead. Now, I know, and I was in a, a busy, busy, busy job. I mean, you aren't in charge of everything. I quite understand that. But mm-hmm. there are some things that will help us if we do plan the night before just to get things a little, you know, organized and to have margin. I think to put margin in as well. Things generally take more time than we expect. I mean, that's, that seems to be the way things are. And the other thing is a website that I think is really helpful is the unhurriedliving dot com. I think it is. Oh,
1: Jim and Alan Fadling, yeah.
0: What a great resource that That's is! True. Really helpful.
1: Well, James, I think a couple things that you've just said there bear repeating. I would go so far as to say that rest is an essential spiritual discipline. I believe that with my whole heart. That. Rest ought to be something that comes very naturally to us the way it does to children who will just collapse on the floor (laughs) when they get tired. But the older we get and the more opportunities we have to work Anywhere, anytime, right? We can always just avail ourselves of the Wi Fi and get to it and work on something at any time. And I think choosing to put aside our necessary tasks, we're not saying they're not necessary, but we're putting them aside and choosing to rest. I think that's an essential part of a helpful rhythm of life. I mean, seriously, undertake it as a discipline, just as you would devote yourself to prayer or meditation or solitude or silence. Devote yourself to rest.
0: I'd go further and say rest is worship. Rest is worship. It's not a break you have from worship. It is worship. And I think one of the difficulties we have is we think that we need to prove to God Our service, our commitment, our busyness, our activity, whether it's you know journalism or school or student or professional. And we think that the harder we work, the more we're proving it. But actually to rest is worship. (laughs) It's also
1: act of faith.
0: Well, it's also defiance in the face of a world that's going, you know, faster and constantly. It's a subversive. Act of rebellion against the <laughs> world. going at such a high speed.
2: That's right. <laughs> I yeah. love that. It's uh, <laughs> an act of rebellion. It's funny you said worship, James, because I'd, I'd just written that word down. And okay. part of the way I think of it is God designed bodies mm-hmm, to need rest. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's a way that I can honor God and, and, and that's where I go worship of like, this is what I've got. And so to uh, submit, to submit to that, James, you said that to me years ago about sometimes, you know, going to bed and the way I've taken it is that sometimes the most productive thing I can do is go to bed or, yeah. or just stop, just knock it off and and stop. Right. I can't ignore that. I th- I think to be maybe honest with the issue that there are a lot of people who are just straight up addicts. I mean, that's just, they're feeding mm-hmm. off it, like sticking a mm-hmm. needle in their vein to stay busy. And then it, and it speaks to all this self-worth, right? We do live in a culture that mm-hmm. virtue and values busyness and we mm-hmm. praise each other all this time for it. And then also the, it, it keeps us from having to live in reality. I don't have to look at myself. And I don't have to look at the messes mm-hmm. I've made and the the hurt and pain if I'm just staying busy all the time. Mm-hmm. It works extremely well for, for a lot of these things until it doesn't work. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And it somehow proves our value in the world. It somehow proves to us or to others we're important. We're kind of a significant. So that's why I think it's a deep issue is what is it? It's revealing the fact that we're so um, hyper and active. But just mm-hmm. on the practicalities, because I think the vision I have of this is how to fold God into more of my day, or more accurately, I think, theologically, is how to fold me and my day into God, because I think it's <laughs> the right way around. Mm-hmm. But But, you know, I've I found lots of things really you know, help me, just as the day goes by. So, trying to find things that will help me to stop. So, in an office building, I'll take the stairs, not you know, elevator, because as I walk upstairs, if I walk up slowly, one stair step at a time, not two or three, and <laughs> rushing as uh-huh. I do it, you uh-huh. know, it can become a little. Prayer walk. I know that sounds crazy, but it can be just a moment, just to stop. Or when you're having coffee, put your two hands around the coffee cup and use that as a moment, just to hold the cup, or hold yourself before God, or hold somebody or a situation before God. It's this act of slowing. That's the the invitation to slow. So crossing a street, cross when the signal says walk, not trying to think, mm, I can dodge the traffic here, I can get across the street because there's no cars. No, take it as a practice to actually, you know, stop. There's so many other things. Well, one other thing, you can always glance up at, you know, sky. I, I very often, as I'm in a, a work, a place, or a street, I'll just glance up at the sky. There's something about that. Even in a concrete, you know, jungle, you can almost always have a connection with God in the sky. It's just a thought.
1: God is here, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it really just is as practical as not checking our phone when we have a moment, right? You know, that's in between right. whatever. Just that's breathe. right.
1: The intentionality of interacting with God right where we are including the trust to stop right what we're doing, (laughs) it is subversive. And I expect we'll be coming back to this subject more (laughs) and more. But it's timely as we're, you know, this will air as we're headed into the holidays, guys. So one final thing I would say, when you're dealing with developing your rhythm of life, one thing you'll bump up against is other people's expectations. But you're in good company. Mm. I always think of Jesus who had fallen asleep in the boat. And when his followers came to get him because they were worried about the storm, they didn't say, Hey, could you help us out here? They said, Don't you care that we're about to drown? (laughs) You know, Mm. people do have expectations. And when you choose to slow down or you choose to leave something off or you choose to rest, You'll have to deal with that, but you're in good company because Jesus did too. And he's still saying, Peace be still. Okay, guys, I have a question for us to consider that comes from our friend Julie. And I can just hear the heaviness of heart in the words that she uses. Julie has been going through a difficult situation in her life, and she is now not so sure that going back to church after COVID is going to be helpful. And her question, she shared a lot with us, but in essence, she said, why are church people so unloving, so rigid in being right that they fail to love people in such sad places. And why should I go back to church now if that's what I'm going to face?
0: Mm. (sighs) Yeah.
1: Can I start by just saying, Julie, we are holding space for you as you are in the middle of your own heartache. And we thank you for trusting us with, with your question. It's a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's almost become a cliche to hear people wondering whether or not they're going to go back mm-hmm. to church. It'd be really interesting to see to see where this goes. I, I'm I'm lost on this one in a sense because it does sometimes feel. Like in secular communities, there's more kindness. I've got one piece kind of sociologically that religion in general, all religions tend to attract people who are more geared towards authoritarian or rigidity and this kind of right and wrong, black and white thinking. So you do see this in in other religions to some extent, but it, it baffles me to be honest with you guys. One quote I will give is you, is you the word about being right came up, and it was a, a quote that a marriage therapist said to uh, my wife and I once, what, rather to me Would you like to be right or kind? <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you rather be right? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather be kind? That just sticks with me. But mm-hmm. sort us out, James. What do you got? Well,
0: no, I think you're right. I think you're right. It reminds me of a, a phrase. But well, was I kind? I That's, the real issue. <laughs> That's right. You That's were, the question. <laughs> you're always kind, Nate. Yes. Honestly. You are a kind person. We appreciate it. Thank you. It reminds me of, of a line that I've often used with hunger, adults, Christians. Sometimes it can happen. I will say I'd rather be seen as shallow than seen as being harsh rather be seen as being shallow than being harsh in the sense that they're so easy to try to prove our credentials or to Mm -hmm. demonstrate how committed we are by being you know harsh on others and you know judging Mm -hmm. others because it makes us look good and I think there's a danger in that as Mm you've understand. Stand. But people think it's so shallow. Why can't you be critiquing? You know, why after that talk or that sermon, aren't you going over it and saying what was good and bad, mainly what isn't right, not what is right? Do you know what I mean? I, I sometimes feel that we're so quick to point out what's not right than what is right. I think we want to try and encourage people to turn their judgment into curiosity. I think there's a lot to be said for this challenge of turning judgment into curiosity and to, yes, tell the truth, but in Emily Dickinson's poem, tell the truth, but tell it slant. Tell Mm. it slant.
1: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's Emily Dickinson from?
0: Emily Dickinson, the poet.
1: Right, right. I don't think she would say, tell it slant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> She
0: would I say, see. tell it slant. Okay. <laughs> slant. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> lost in translation once again. Once <laughs> again, we're lost in translation. But her point is that the truth, she says, is too bright and shiny for many people to be able to cope with it in one go. So, it can overwhelm us. Now, the thing about hearing a judgmental comment in a church is that we we then are judgmental back.
1: Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? When church people are judgmental, there's there's a weight there. Right. It's a lot to bear, and you know, I, I look at this question: why, why are church people so? Why can they be so unkind? And I think. James, you're you're tapping into part of it. It's the judgmentalism, as if that were what is required of the church, <laughs> that, that, we're, that we're supposed to sort people into categories, or there's a defensiveness. And I, I see this particularly in this sort of, we're coming out of lockdown, should I go back to church after COVID? One of the things that people are rejecting is the notion of having sorted people into the good and the bad and the ugly. They want to be in supportive communities. And I do think that one of the reasons for being in church is because we need community. We're we're made to be in community. We're made in the image of a God who is community, and we're made to be in community. And the church should provide community, easy community of like-minded folks who want to be like Jesus. And I'm afraid the short answer to her question of why are church people so mean-spirited is that there are too many people in our churches who have not been formed into Christ's likeness. But as to whether she should be there, you know, I will say that very often, the idea of going to church is held up almost as a spiritually abusive matter, like, you got to be here. You know, your comment about the authoritarian nature, Nate, really, really caught my my ear that very often religions will name particular edicts and folks who are attracted to that sort of authoritarian rule. Attracted to religion. But, you know, I think about like in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, where the Hebrew Christians are exhorted. The old King James said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So getting together is important. I think our souls need to worship God. That's a need we have. And I would say God does not need to be worshiped. God is very secure in his own identity. He is Worthy of worship, and we need to worship, and we need to be with people who also worship God. But actually, being in church needs to be an experience that is feeding to our souls. So, I understand people's dilemma. Should I go back to the four walls of the church building if instead of my soul's being fed, if I'm being
2: abused? It's a tough one. Yeah, I love your passion for that. Rochelle, maybe one one word I'd give to Julie is we critique what we love and care about. Mm-hmm. There are institutions and people that I don't critique because I don't care. But mm-hmm. if if usually when we're critiquing something, it's because we deeply care about it. So there's something beautiful in in just asking the question that I want to acknowledge.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, in terms of practicalities. I do think it's helpful just to wait before we react to an uncharitable church. It's Mm -hmm. prayerfully thinking how's the best way to hold ourselves and conduct ourselves. It's knowing when to speak and when to be silent. And I know that's really hard, especially when you hear some outrageous things coming out. But going back to Emily Dickinson, it's kind of, well... We practice, I I have practiced expressions that I think are honorable and truthful, but are gracious, if you see what I mean. It's trying to be Mm. able to say something and correct people in a gracious way. Doesn't always happen, isn't always easy, but it's trying to look for that and to look for when. To speak, when's a good opportunity? When's the right context? When's the right group we speak in? These are tough issues and we won't get it right. But I do think there are ways of speaking out in in an uncharitable church. And I just think it's something we learn. We just prove your average score, if you see what I mean. (laughs) Um, We just try to model a different tone In the conversations we have.
1: Yeah. I also, uh, my heart beats pretty strongly with someone who is describing basically having been treated badly herself by the very community she is counting on for support. I will say that I believe strongly that we belong to the church of Jesus Christ our Lord. Our membership there in the eternal church of Jesus is not at stake. But we may have to switch congregations here on earth. We may have to switch denominations here on earth. We may have to go to an earthly outpost of the kingdom that's best for us, because some places are just not good For a time. And so I don't want any individual hurting Christian to feel that Mm. the health, the wealth, the welfare of the very thing that Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against. You know, if you need to worship God elsewhere, then do so. God cares about you, and his dealing with you will always be in grace. So be free. Be free to do what your soul needs.
2: I think it's worth saying that some places are just straight sick. Yeah. I mean, they're just really unhealthy. Yeah. One of the things that's been super helpful for me through the years is to take my pain or hurt or disappointment from the way others were or or, or weren't, and to become what I wanted, become for others what I needed. And so we all are part of the church and we Mm -hmm. can extend kindness to others. And Mm -hmm. that's been a really helpful way for me to, I guess, heal some wounds is to be the person I wanted someone else to be in -hmm. in my life. Right. I guess it gives me something to do with it rather than just sit around and yeah, whatever.
0: (laughs) That's helpful. No, that's really helpful.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks Julie
1: for trusting us with your pain. Glad to have you here at the table.
2: I have a question that comes to us from Margaret, and it is this. God has made me aware of my judgmental attitude towards my family members. How can I grow in this area and not only keep my comments and advice to myself, but also let go of that judgment, which is in my heart?
1: Wow, toward family members.
2: Yeah. How about another cliche, huh? Mm.
1: (laughs) Well, this is really timely, isn't it? (laughs) I'm thinking here we are with, at least in my neck of the woods, big family gatherings coming up. Actually, some family being together for the first time in a long time. Golly, James, I don't know how much you guys over in the UK follow American news. Maybe you keep yourself shut off from it just because it's so dreadful. (laughs) But I, I've seen a lot of families really divided lately, and now they might be placed in situations where they're going to get together. Whew. It's a big one.
0: I think it, it is a big one, and families, there's so much we invest in relationships at home, aren't there? You know, children, parents, siblings, and everything else. So I'm not at all surprised that Margaret has brought up this issue. In some ways, I'm surprised we haven't had to tackle it in the past. I think profound things are at play when we're with our parents or children or siblings, and it taps into something deep within us. It probes and triggers and puts a finger on things that run within us. And I think it's worth just tracing where the pain is, where that judgment is coming from. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers come towards him, these are people looking for power. They were trying to deal with their power issues and control issues. And Jesus simply says in John chapter 18, he says, I'm the one you're looking for.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's a very interesting expression that here they come, they want him, they want him. And he says, I'm the one you're looking for. And I find that in a family context When the emotions are running high, the disappointments are there, the failure to deliver on what we want, and I wonder whether there's something in the expression, I'm the one you're looking for. That intimacy you're looking for, that sense of acceptance you're looking for, the sense of they believe in me, they love me. And I think the quiet words of Jesus might even be, I'm the one you're looking for. This pain in the connection with others might be tapping into a deep spiritual hunger Mm. for Jesus.
2: Does that make any sense?
1: It does. You're right
2: that the person I'm judging, that they're looking for Jesus? Is that what you meant? Yeah, the disappointment I
0: feel in somebody.
1: That's right, because particularly in family situations, right? I think one of the reasons this is so heartbreaking, this this listener says, how can I deal with my judgment? I don't want to be so judgmental toward these people. And yet, clearly they are feeling judgmental. This is a freighted feeling. It's not just being judgmental of the politician on the other side of the country. This is feeling judgmental of the person's closest or most important to them. So I I think you're right, James, to tap into maybe a little deeper pain that maybe some of the feelings of judgment are particularly there because we want so much from our family members. And maybe maybe some of what we want is actually best supplied by Jesus.
2: Mm. It's a good thought. That there's maybe a different expectation we put mm-hmm. on, on people. Mm-hmm. A few thoughts kicking through my head. The piece that caught me in, in Margaret's question was the end of like, I don't want this.
0: <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want
2: to be judgmental. And, mm-hmm. It can be quite difficult. I found a, a couple of things helpful. One is that my judgment of others, there's a sort of violence to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that with a lot of kindness that I'm doing something. like energetically, spiritually, I'm sending something out there, and it, I, I mean personally, I can feel it. like when someone's really judgmental, it, there's just something there. So that helps motivate me to address some of, some of these issues. How? Where do we go with that? One place I like to start is is looking at myself. Usually, the things that I do not like in myself or fear or hate in myself, when I see it in others, then it just stings. Mm-hmm. So that's one place to start, although not always the case. Sometimes it's about control. like I'm not trusting God to other people. I'm wanting them to you know be a certain way that 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 they're not. The next thing I'll do is is ask the why. Why is this person this way? What's behind that? Often there's a lot of hurt and pain and fear, and <laughs> somehow that shifts it for me when I can see someone in in a different light, asking for God's eyes, vision to see this person as God sees them. There's a prayer I'll just repeat over and over in a, in, a, in a situation, and then the last thing I'll say is is a, a line we have from the Fellowship of the Burning Heart, the the values, and it's this: we we value. Love with wise boundaries and discern mm-hmm. without judgment. Mm. Love with wise boundaries, discern without judgment. Because sometimes I can get mixed up. Am I being judgmental, or am I just discerning? This is really a problem. And can mm-hmm. I trust that person to God? Can I let it go, or do I need to, you know, manage? And and then and then really, she, uh, w- this challenge that Margaret's given of what do I say, what do I not, mm-hmm. and how do I how do I work with that?
1: Yeah. I was just thinking, James, when you were talking about the scene in the garden, my mind was drawn to the scene also there when Jesus has asked his closest friends to watch and pray with him. And he goes a little further in and pours out his heart to God, comes back and finds them asleep. (laughs) He says to them something that, you know, a phrase that gets tossed around a lot, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I love Jesus for saying that. I mean, Jesus was a human. He knew the flesh was, in fact, weak. And I think being thrust into these situations shows us that our family member's flesh is weak and our flesh is weak. They're doing something really objectionable and we're reacting in judgment. So I like what you said, Nate, about looking first at ourselves, because the truth is we'll do our best. And I think it's important that we try to set boundaries, but we really can't control what anyone else does. We can only control what we do. We can't really control what we feel. (laughs) We can't necessarily always control even what we think but we can have some right. control over what we do. So, mm-hmm. I'm thinking when I'm in a situation of judging someone else, what usually what I need is some a pretty good dose of some humility, taking myself out of the position of judge. You know, I think of Jesus in Matthew 7 saying judge not that you be not judged and I think that he was saying that for our good. He knows mm-hmm. that we cannot bear that position, that taking it on will warp us. So Mm -hmm. a little practice for me is simply to serve. You know, if someone is being really objectionable, maybe I fix that person a cup of coffee, not because they deserve it, but because it's good for me to be in the position of service. Maybe I remove myself from the room and just go start doing the dishes, another act of service, mm-hmm. but one that gives me a moment to reflect. And the mm-hmm. other thing that's helpful to me when someone's really getting under my skin is for me to, as really as an act of will, not because I want to do it, but simply to say, God, You know what Frank needs. He is speaking out of some unmet need. You alone know what he needs. Please give it to him and just leaving it there. So basically just forcing myself to bless instead of curse. Not because I feel like blessing Frank, but I am taking the opportunity to entrust him to God. Taken myself
0: out of the God position. I think that's really helpful and those practical ways of you know, handling it. I love the line learn to not have the last word. Yeah. Not having the last word is a practice that's really you know, helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. no, we can leave it. We can just let it go. I'm also very struck in this context, as with you know, churches is the wonderful Quaker practice and the book, the Journal of John Woolman. The Journal of John Woolman is about a believer trying to work out how to say things and when he should comment on things and most mm-hmm. of the time he's quiet that's the most you know, striking mm. thing most that he'll go for long periods of quiet until he feels the spirit has prompted him to say now's your chance this oh. is the time to say it. And I found that such a helpful approach. You know, we sometimes feel we have to say it right away. Well, let's just wait. Let's just find the right space. Let's find the right words. So I found that book very powerful for this.
2: Interesting. You bring it up. I'm actually reading that book right now. We're working with it in the book club coming up next. And he was dealing with like really serious issues. Big issues, yeah. Yeah, going down the South preaching the yeah end slavery. Yeah. And- well, he
0: has this wonderful phrase when he's talking with the native indigenous Indians. He says he doesn't understand what they're saying, but he has this incredible expression, I love to hear where the words come from. Mm. And he's listening to the Place that the words are coming from, which is the same point about to turn our judgment into curiosity. Where are the words coming from?
2: Mm-hmm. Another thought came up for me is is that when I feel accepted or loved by others, mm-hmm. I find it difficult to judge them. When I feel on the outs or I feel a sort of tension then then I find it quite easy to judge. So I, there's probably something there to community and maybe yeah. speaking to some deeper issues.
1: Yeah. And our hearts long for that to come from our families, don't they? I mean, back, back to the right. fact that yeah. th- this was about family members. Mm-hmm. Our hearts mm-hmm. do long for that. And we can pray for that. We can ask God to heal what's broken in all of us. Mm-hmm. So there's not so much need for either for ugliness or for judgment of ugliness. Mm. You know, we are are all beloved children of God. To borrow again Mm. from the Quakers, I think we can make a practice of holding one another Mm. in the light, right? But we do have to set out to do it pretty intentionally (laughs) because some folks are just hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. And that's the point. It's not that there aren't things to you know judge. There are sometimes things to judge. It's just that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you don't need to judge people. There's something bigger. The kingdom is a safe place. So our judgment can be put in the context because most people are generally trying to do the best they can with what they've got. They want to be a good Person. They might do bad things, but they usually have a very good reason in their own minds <laughs> as to why they have to operate like that. Mm-hmm. And us trying to get into that, not easy, and we won't get it right. We are going to fail in this, but let's keep at it. Perfection yeah. isn't the ambition, it's just to improve where we are.
1: Patience is part of the fruit of the spirit, right? So the Spirit is going to lead you into forbearance, even with the grumpiest, toughest members of your family.
2: I'm just wondering why you always get me coffee when we're together, Rochella. Oh, yeah. Now
1: first, you know. Now I know.
2: <laughs> appreciate it. It explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Pro- progress rather than perfection. That's right. right. Progress, Correct. not perfection. Yeah.
0: Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Friends in Formation. And we'd invite you to head over to renavare.org to find other helpful materials. And we'd love you to send us your questions on anything, but especially about how we are formed in Christ. So send them to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R E N O V A R E.org.